You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to a new episode of Delirious Nomads, brought to you by Blacklight Media Records, a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, celebrity chef Chris Santos, I hate calling myself that, and underground metal connoisseur Matt Bacon, who loves being called that. This is your new favorite podcast for all things heavy metal, as well as breakdowns of your favorite combat sports and riffing on some food talk every week with very special guests from across the globe. Hello and welcome to the Delirious Nomads podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bacon, here again, sadly, without Chris, but excitingly with a dear friend of both Chris Santos and I, Chris Enriquez of Revolver Magazine, Spotlights, a bunch of other bands whose names I can't remember. Really fascinating, interesting, cool guy. How are you, Chris? I'm doing great. Uh, Thank you for having me, Matt. I really appreciate it. It's always good talking to you. I know I missed a couple bands. Do you want to just list them quickly? Sure. And and I don't blame you, by the way. Uh, You know, Spotlights is my main band that um, I've been doing for years that, you know, is active and gets on cool tours and things like that. So that's that's the thing that I'm doing that most people who know me are aware of. But um, I also started a solo project and it's under the name Light Tower, but it's just me. Um, and I just came out with my first single last week and signed with uh, a label called Iodine Recordings. That's kind of, uh, they do a lot of like um, dudes that come from my world in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, post-hardcore sort of realm. Um, and that's really uh, what I'm concentrating on. But I also play guitar in a New York hardcore band called Total Meltdown. And I play bass in a band uh, called Judas Knife, which is uh, on translation lost records and those are sort of the projects that i'm doing these days on top of managing bands on top of managing bands and 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 working for like i think seven media outlets now (laughs) so something that i think people don't understand really is this idea of how most metal media outlets make meaningful money these days yeah which is not banner ads because banner ads really they work if you've got a mainstream act that a lot of people are going to like. But when it comes down to it, I've been in a position where I had, you know, $3,000 to spend on a band and I could give them to a website, a mainstream band. I could give it to a website on a banner ad or I could target specifically that band's fans on Instagram. Absolutely. You know, it's weird. Yeah. So can you kind of break down the model that really is making money for people like Revolver, but also folks not affiliated with Project M like Gimme Radio? 
Yeah, 1000%. You know, it's always been a mystery, right, to like uh, people in the music industry and especially people that are not even in the music industry that are just playing music and want to understand how to market and promote their bands and do it effectively. And like you said, how do you do it when you don't already have uh, a household name out there, especially when the uh, menu of options are banner ads or print ads? And it's like, you know, I'm not necessarily going to click on something if I've never heard of this band, right? So you're an expert at this, Matt, and people go to your uh, uh, channels to to learn your insight because you're very good and, and honed in your uh, expertise on this. But for us, what we recognized at my company, Project M, is that when you are reading articles nowadays, if you, let's say you're on Rolling Stone, right? We already challenged with the fact that like when you go on Rolling Stone or any of these sites that we're not even getting mostly music now, which is frustrating. But when you are, and let's say it's a band that you like, it seems like a totally missed opportunity that if you're reading an article at Metallica, that you can't just simply click on that article on Rolling Stone, for example, and uh, have the ability to buy records or, 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 or merchandise and stuff like that. Now, I don't think that those companies are really um, focused on that because they have other things on their plates that are much larger than our world, right? With us, we have no excuse. So um, we want to make sure that when you are reading about Killswitch Engage, they could click on that article and buy a Killswitch Engage t-shirt and a record. And what that does now is that means that as a retailer, and a lot of people might have a hard time wrapping their heads around this, but when you think about a retailer, for example, depending on where you buy your products from, whether it's Amazon and you're going to buy uh, you know, your favorite metal record, you could buy that on Amazon, just like you could at Generation Records in Manhattan. Now we've placed ourselves in a position where now we are a retailer, which means I'm going to call up Metal Blade and buy records off of them, just like a record store does. I'm going to call up Nuclear Blast. I'm going to do that. I'm going to carry the new ministry record. And we are leveraging our audience our many, many, many followers that follow us now can can read these articles or go on social media and go on Instagram and look at our stories and then right then and there, there's a link. It makes everyone's lives easier and it's no different than the outside world. But I think that, uh, Matt, something you're an expert on is that the metal world, unfortunately, has not um, been as up to date or advanced in our marketing uh you know it, it, it marketing for our world has not been up to par with the rest of the outside world and and i feel that our company uh is probably the first to sort of pick up on that and do something about it um so that was something that we recognized and saw great success with during the pandemic and now we have expanded our store to the point where you can buy books and posters it goes even beyond that. Now you can buy, uh, you know, just about anything that you can think of, like a typo negative mini drum set you can buy. You can buy, um, you know, such strange niche things from our stores across the board. So that's that's really how we service our our media to the record labels, to the bands. But if you're not a known band, you know, let's say you're a brand new band with a premiere, what we've now done is built a platform with a higher traffic because people are shopping on site. They're reading about these bigger bands and then your name pops up there. You know, you know this, Matt, if you just keep the, the right, uh, if you know your audience and it says for fans of Slayer and Carcass or whatever it is that you're trying to position yourself in, um, you know, 
it gives more eyes to that band now that we have more consumers and more people and, and they're buying, which is even better. So then there's a higher chance they're going to buy your stuff or at least check it out now, you know? Yeah. But yeah. And it, well, I think it's this interesting thing of like owning the audience and you have an owned audience that think what Revolver writes about is cool. And because you know your audience, you can sell them things that you think that they think are going to be cool. That's, I think the fundamental is like knowing your audience, studying your audience, understanding it. Because if you, if you're target, if you, if you, if you are targeting something so niche, you know, a lot of musicians don't think, you don't realize it's the same thing outside of music. There's nothing special about what we do that makes us that different from somebody trying to sell a household product, you know what I'm saying, to, to an average consumer, right? It's like you have to know who you're selling to. If I come out with a um, cleaning product, you know, I'm going to go after people that are in the business of that or if I'm in the business of athletic wear or something like that, I have to know my audience. So, you know, I feel like that's something that gets lost where if you're a up and coming musician or if you're at a label or something and you're like trying to uh, sell something, you know, the fun, the foundation is more important than anything. And then the creativity around that and understanding the technology that we live in now is, is, and that's what you talk about every day, Matt. That's why I love yeah. uh, your TikTok channel and all that stuff, you know? Well, and that's, what's kind of interesting to me is like, what you do is you take, so like, did you know soap operas are called soap operas because initially they were sponsored by soap companies? I did not. And that's so funny because I definitely remember growing up, you know, you're, 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 you, I'm, I had a, had a nanny as a kid and there was always soap operas on TV all day long. And there was those commercials, that's, this is a great pivot, they're targeted towards a lot at the time and i hope this doesn't get me canceled but it was a lot of uh housewives at home in the 80s yeah i'm talking about like i'm going back to the 80s i mean i know that today times are different but they were catering commercials at that time to a lot of housewives that were at home and there were it was soap and just household stuff you know what i mean so that makes sense but like the soap operas were like funding it because they were like oh well like this is this is what our audience is gonna like so if we fund it, then we can just like get access to the audience. Cool. Exactly. Okay. Next problem. And it's like, I think people don't necessarily understand, ah, that's what we can be doing here. And that's what you do essentially is you sit down and you say, okay, cool. We've, we own this audience, you know, who care about records. Yeah, vinyl in particular has during the pandemic has become a huge uh, a collector's uh, item, and not that it wasn't before, but I think that uh, you know anybody who knows how long it takes now to manufacture a vinyl good. record, it's 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 it. There's not that many vinyl manufacturers in the U.S. You know, there might be three, um, which is wild. So that's why when 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 there was controversy that Adele came out with a record a lot of record labels and record manufacturers, like a lot of people were outraged at indie labels because they felt that they were then pushed back in the shelves because a larger artist uh, was taking up all the bandwidth. And um, that's very uh, in in indicative of the world that we're living in, in terms of like, you know, now that they're seeing how in demand vinyl is, especially for niche stuff like metal um, and, and just, just subgenres of rock music, more than pop music, in fact, um, you know, 
it's it's there hasn't been a lot of uh, uh, of manufacturing plants to cater to it, and I think people are trying to think of ways to do it now that they see that. But th- that was one thing the pandemic did is people were stuck at home and they wanted to come up with hobbies and record collecting became one of those things for a lot of people. Well, one of the interesting things I feel like you saw kind of happen in the pandemic is I think punk and metal have on some fundamental level always sort of been collector genres. You know, there's very much with metal, this sort of baseball card esque, you know, like, and my parents actually pointed this out to me when I was a kid at first getting into metal. Cause before I was in the metal, I was really into baseball cards. And they were like, well, this is the exact same logic that you're like really stoked on, on a rare Nolan Ryan that you're like, hey, can, can you guys give me $1,000 to buy a, a limited edition of Death Crush? And yep. they're like, no, we're not giving you $1,000 to buy a record called Death Crush. That record's worth $6,000 now, mom. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, 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 and this goes back to uh, kind of like bragging rights, right? So like- yeah baseball cards and the fundamental idea of collecting comic books or anything of that nature, like records have become such a sexy thing to have in your home. You go into somebody's house and you see a record player and a collection of records. It's, it's almost um, like a bragging, right? I mean, yeah. you don't know if they listen to all those records, but if you have, they don't, which no one will admit to, but <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I made fun of a friend the other day that came over who was so excited that I had a, a box set that uh, was where, and then asked if we could play the songs on Spotify. I'm like, I have a record player and you're looking at the record. So I want to put them on, but it's the colored vinyl is the bragging rights. If you have a first pressing of something, uh, a test pressing of something, or you can pull out a vinyl and it's like a green swirl um, and it visually is appealing. This is now a trophy. There might've been only 300 of them. You know what I mean? So like, this is the weird part of capitalism that we're in now is like everything like I guess the point I was trying to make is like metal was a collector's culture now everything is collector culture yeah yeah and I think that might have been also as a result of the time that we had sitting around and when you have something let's also not uh, forget you just said it capitalism it becomes higher in value over time so you've now invested in something that could end up on discogs that might be worth $500 next year or $1,000 in a few years. And so now everything's yeah. sitting in your house. Now with that and NFTs and everything, like people are way more into the idea of having a rare item that's worth money, you know? And it's interesting because I was, my assistant was explaining this to me about comic book collecting and how he views it as like, he'll go to New York for Comic-Con and get like whatever he has signed and then by getting those things signed, he's, it's actually an investment in the future because now his $5 comic that he paid $20 to get signed is now worth $50. Absolutely. And when that guy dies, it's going to be worth $150. And he's, it's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> We've actually taken this business model that we're talking about in terms of like you, you mentioning autographs and how they make items more rare. Now, we, we, we started sponsoring festivals and particularly like all those Danny Wimmer festivals where now we want to be the, the meet and greet destination uh, for the artists and the fans. Now it's pending on how COVID is always changing every day. But what happens when we do that is we create um, custom items. Uh, sometimes they're prints that you can only get there. 
these are again going back to the collectability and you go meet um let's you know pick a band out of uh uh the lineup here like you know let's say you're going to go meet gojira um and you you're now standing online you get to meet the band take your selfie get this custom print it's autographed you just got a collectible item in your pocket they could only get there in our tent you know so yeah. that's something that we can't you know honed in on is just collectors 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 you know yeah and stuff like that i think it's it's because it's also about just even if you're not trying to resell it's like giving people some sort of meaningful fun thing right that matters a lot more than you know obviously a selfie is cool but it's all you know you're probably not going to blow that up and hang that on your wall <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely don't, but I think um, the you're right. It becomes a part of your identity, too. It becomes much more deeper than that because now this means something to you. You went to this festival to see this band that you love, and you left with something that for, for the rest of your life, like people uh, from my days used to take out their their uh, concert tickets. You know, we take those for granted now, but like, you know, so I wish I saved my concert tickets yeah, right? from... Yeah, if I had my concert ticket from when I saw Skid Row and Guns N' Roses in 1990 and I could put it somewhere or show it to people, I would be very stoked. But unfortunately, I didn't see the value in that at the time and I don't have it anymore, you know? <laughs> it's a really gross thing they do in Europe that I didn't realize how gross it was till I got older is you'll see people who wear their festival bracelets and just leave them on for years. Oof. Or they like find, or like I had a friend who like would cut them off and then put an elastic together and then a bit like elastic them back together so he could put it back on. And it became <laughs> like a fashion statement of like, oh, look, I can, you know, I, this is how many festivals I go to. This is everything I've been to. And like the bracelet became the collector's item, which Oof, was rough. kind of, yeah. I, I, as I got older, I was like, man, I did not hang out with good people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we, we definitely don't want to shame them for being fans, right? But at the yeah, same time, it's, like, it's, it's pretty gross, though. <laughs> but, like, but, like, the thing is, you can give those people other options that are not just, guess you got to wear this thing for the rest of your life to show you're a real fan, bro. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I agree with you. I mean, I think that especially in the time period that lapsed between when people stopped buying records um, and now um, it's like you really have to kind of cherish the fact that like people are, are, are investing again and they're having physical items that are just not living in clouds. You know, like that's not to take away from the importance of uh, streaming. I know that's another part of your life that are our lives that, that, that we have uh, opinions on and, 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 and have strategies behind. But, but the, those physical connections are, are huge. And yeah, so and I, exist. Take advantage of it. And this is something I think is really important to think about. And I think you know what something I think that's interesting to notice is, regardless of how you feel about sort of the NFT Web three stuff, um, and there's a lot going on there. You know, there's it's impossible to deny that there's a lot of hate directed towards those things for a variety of reasons. Oh yeah, totally. and there's also a lot of volatility in those markets for a variety of reasons, but. It seems like the collector market is pretty respected and pretty and relatively stable. Yeah, I mean it's it's never gone away. I think that it's like, you know, there's there there's like an entire world of people that are more focused on like 
uh, you know, Elvis 45s and certainly Beatles 45s and exactly. things like that. But now what's interesting is, you know, we're looking at our, like, you know, I, we talk, you and I talk about age all the time, but it's, it's a very important topic. Like for me, like my shit is classic rock now, like the things that were not, that were, so that now is becoming that. So, you know, if you have, and, and it goes beyond records. I mean, I have t-shirts I found that are worth hundreds of dollars. I have like a, a Nirvana shirt from 1993 that's worth like $700. Um, and I just found some Pearl Jam shirts and Green Day shirts. And these are shirts that I never knew would be a big deal today. And, and it's like, I feel like I have a jackpot sitting in my laundry, you know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, which is so bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Um, and, um, and, and, and I don't know that I'm going to sell them because I, I, they're special to me, but you know, with kids today dressing like it's 1994, man, I, I, I really think it's cool. You know, I, I hear their conversations when I'm just walking around Brooklyn and it blows my mind. And, and, and I think we're really lucky to be in a situation where kids think that this is cool. I'm like, I'm all in, you know, <laughs> like, um, you know, cause to me, I don't have to think about this kind of stuff. I'm just like, Oh, that's just what I, this is how I dress when I wake up in the morning and this is the music I listen to. So, you know, well, like, do you ever think about that? Like how eighties nostalgia drives our culture and nobody will admit that. I haven't thought about that. I mean, I, in what way do you think? Well, like, okay. So you have maintained this 1980s metal guy look since the 80s, right? Oh, I'll see, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I dress like I'm Don Johnson because of Don Johnson, <laughs> right? Who's like right. A, a defining 80s figure. But also, like, if you look at how all the po- a lot of popular TV shows, Young Sheldon, Young Rock, um, Cobra Kai, right? Like yes. um, the Goldbergs, you know, all those shows are set in the 80s, right? Uh, the... Steel Panther, you know, even to a large extent, like Donald Trump is just like, uh, yeah. And, and I think point break too. That's another one. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and there's just a stranger things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like you get what I'm saying. Like there is no, and part of that is how people age. Right. And like now the people who are born in like 75 to 80 are kind of in charge of culture and then they'll get a little too old and that, you know, whatever. But like, I think it's important to acknowledge that a lot of this is just due to this 80s fascination due to the stranger things thing you know or and people tapping into that uh culturally does that make sense yeah it absolutely does and i i can even add to that and and mention that since i've been going out again and seeing shows particularly shows with younger people i'm even noticing camcorders are back like i see holding camcorders because they feel the, uh, I'm, I'm assuming the authenticity of that is some kind of statement versus using their phone and having the uh, filter do it for them. And I think that's cool. And I think it makes sense. Um, and I think that every generation is recycled 20 years later. Um, and we're just living in that now because I remember when people were trying to bring back the seventies, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, 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 and then the 80s, and I, now I feel it's the 90s, but it's kind of a crossover between like the 80s and 90s. Like you have shows like Yellow Jackets and, and then the music that's reflective of that and everything that we see every day. We're kind of like seeing this 80s, 90s thing happening, you know. I love it personally. I mean, it's really the, 
even the early 2000s stuff is coming back, but that to me is stranger, not to get too off topic, but like I was never into Limp Biscuit or anything like that. Um, uh, you know, I didn't even really appreciate Slipknot until uh, a couple of years ago because that wasn't something that meant anything to me when I was a teenager or in my 20s. Like I was already, I had moved on to something else at that point. You know, I was listening to Arcade Fire when people were listening to Slipknot. You know what I mean? Sure. And I rediscovered heavy music kind of like in my mid thirties and went back to it. Cause I was just kind of always trying to evolve and try something new, but now I'm just kind of, I like it all. <laughs> no, for sure. No, I just, no, that was just something I've been kind of tripping out over and I wanted kind of your input, but yeah, the point being, I think stuff like the festival exclusive works, the making things specific to that, but like, and it's interesting because I feel like the smart bands have been doing it forever. Like for as I've been seeing Iron Maiden for 10 years. God bless you. Yeah. Right. The entire time I've seen them and for years before I started seeing them, they just would have like merch specific to each tour date. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. You're, you're, you're again tapping back into that. Like I was at, you know, the, I was, I saw them on the killers tour and I got this tour t-shirt and it's got the dates on the back of it. You know, like these are all uh, again, going back to the same thing we've been talking about. Yeah. You know, it's all, it all feeds in. So do you think one of the things I really admire about the band Ice Nine Kills is everything they do is limited edition, even if it's limited to like, you can only buy it on this tour or we're only going to do a thousand or whatever. It's all like, this is your shot to buy this thing. That's it. Do you think that's just the future forever for everyone is like, if you want to sell stuff, it just got to be limited to some capacity. I don't think that it's new. I think that people are picking up on it. And the band that taught me and my bandmates the most out of anybody, and you could even take this back further and say even maybe Nirvana learned from this band, uh, is the Melvins, because they've been doing this. They've been behaving that way since the early 80s, and it's 2022. They haven't changed a thing. And their business model, to me, works for, for, for what I do simply because I think that this actually ties it back to how we started this interview, by the way, like they know their audience, they know exactly um, what their audience wants. They've been giving them limited edition records and prints and t-shirts and things from day one. And because they know their audience so well, they just have this attitude of like, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. So they still play the same cities through the same promoters. They sell the same stuff, except it might just be a new album or a new album cycle. Um, And because they do it that way, they're so self-contained. And there's there's this like ongoing joke that I've heard them say in interviews. They get older and their audience stays the same. There are, you know, I know Ice Nine Kills is uh, a newer band and I, I personally have had a lot of experiences with them and they are tapping more into the younger market. Now, there's also that younger market, believe it or not, that's going to Melvin's shows because yeah. they want to see where grunge came from, especially now. Um, so I think that it was always there to answer your question, but I think that people uh, are just picking up on it now, That especially in rock, because people in rock need to find a way to last financially, and have uh, a good business model. And so, you know, without that, you have nothing, right? You come and go, you rely on streaming and that's it. And you have nothing to sell or give. You don't have any money where, you know, you need 
money. So where does it come from? So I think people are finally picking up on that. And, and, and it works for some bands and it doesn't work for others, you know? There are bands with lots of streams and lots of followers that have poor vinyl sales. You know this too. Yeah. And so they have to find ways to make money in other places. Maybe it's just from touring. Maybe now that they found out what it's like not touring for two years, they had to start learning about collector's items, you know? So there's like so many different ways of looking at this, you know? Absolutely. No, it's just, it's just interesting to watch it kind of transform and evolve and take on dizzy new heights. But I do think people are just going to come up with increasingly cool ideas. And I think, especially with like how, how like 3d, like I think a lot about like 3d printing and stuff and like, wow, what if we start, what if that becomes the next thing? What if bands start bringing a 3d printer, like big bands can bring a 3d printer on tour and then create a sculpture specific to that show. What you're saying is uh, related to the NFT space in a weird way, because as much as people want to hate on it, that is, is as big as it is, is because it's, it's the same idea what we're talking about. This has become universal. Like yeah. one of my best friends has been involved in the NFT space for a very long time. And Gary V, the CEO of VaynerMedia, who onboarded um, Snoop Dogg and The Rock, which was later on in the NFT craze, now that everyone knows about it, wants to be part of it, even celebrities are uh, just uh, starting to get involved. My best friend was involved with this from day one, and I didn't really understand it. Now I do. I made a little bit of money. I probably could have made more. But the idea is, um, and I, and by the way, she's had people call her crying in tears saying, you saved my family because I bought one of your NFTs and sure. I sold it X amount of money. You know, the, This is all but going back to, again, what you said and what I was saying collector's stuff, exclusivity, uh, to an extent, uh, uh, you know, I hate cap, you know, the idea of capitalism, but it, it is, it has a place in this conversation because that's kind of what it is, but it's just sort of, uh, supposed to be, I don't want to get too deep into this hole, but the idea is it's supposed to be more environmentally friendly, I think, and eco-friendly to invest in this sort of, uh, crypto space versus, you know, wall street, I guess, but, but it goes back to everything we were saying. Yeah, for sure. Uh, on the eco-friendly bit, have you seen this thing where now gold mines, you can invest in gold mines that are not active, but you're investing in the gold that is that they speculate is there? I have not. That sounds insane, but... But because the idea is like, oh, well, it's too environmentally destructive to withdraw the gold, but you can like own the gold that theoretically we could extract if we wanted to. I, I don't know enough about that, but there's going to be a point where we have to be like, at what point are people being taken advantage of? and be Yeah, basically. At what point is this real? I'm in the middle of yeah. watching Bad Vegan on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it, yeah. but um, it's, it's it reminded me of the Tinder Swindler a little bit. And I don't know if you saw that, but um, it's it's just people getting suckered into like you know it might be a stretch, but like people making poor financial decisions and believing something because someone told them, and then uh, getting screwed over in the process. It's like you know at what point do you realize you're being taken advantage of? Like. The NFT space makes complete sense to me, but as I think now people are starting to see that and maybe they're like, oh, well, maybe we get people's money. They believe this now too. And it's like, you know. Yeah, there's <laughs> definitely stuff where like my boy was doing an NFT drop and Gary Vee follows me. And so I start, he made me start tweeting about his NFT drop and then he pointed out in the Discord that Gary Vee followed me. That raised the value of the NFT. And it was just like, 
That's so dumb because Gary V follows me because of a dumb tweet from like two years ago. It's wild, man. I was, I, I, I got a story. I was at Mastodon Opeth at uh, Hammerstein Ballroom and I had invested just a little, a couple hundred bucks into my friend's NFT. Her name is Mumbot, uh, M-U-M-B-O-T. You could buy her stuff on uh, OpenSea and at, uh, um, she has toys at Hot Topic. She's, Gary Vee's a fan, but when Gary V tweeted, like I, I, I bought her NFTs like five months prior for a couple hundred bucks. When I was online walking into Mastodon, I got an alert that I had made a bunch of money and I couldn't believe it. And, and, and then she just texted me, you're welcome. And it was because Gary V tweeted her or some shit. And because he did that, um, all of her stuff like went up hundreds of thousands of dollars in value. I'm not, I'm not even joking, not tens, of house, it's like hundreds of thousands, which is like so bizarre. But okay, it is so bizarre. It is so bizarre. And that was that same weekend that on CNN they had announced that Gary V onboarded The Rock and Snoop Dogg into the NFT space. And it's it's a lot to wrap your head around. I don't know if it's going to come and go, but I know that it's real. I can tell you that much for now. You know, but it's you never know. It could go away. Your money could just disappear. It could be a fad, and then the uh, cryptocurrency value just goes down one day and it's, it was, it came and gone, you know, who knows? Anyway, taking too much of your time already. You know, this has been good. This has been really interesting. What should people be aware about that's coming up? What's going on? Talk to me. Well, so I'll drop something here right now. Uh, you know, uh, I, I can't get into too much detail, but as, as many people know, Sergio Vega uh, has left the Deftones. Um, you know, I'm friends with a lot of those guys in that camp. So I try not to get involved in that. I love Deftones. I love Sergio. I love Quicksand. Um, Sergio and I, since he had left, started working on a project where we are producing, writing, and recording artists. Some of the artists that we've collaborated with are pretty high profile artists that um, we are doing singles with that I think people are going to be really shocked and also um, like stoked when they see who, who, who these artists are uh, that we're going to be dropping. But that's, that's something I've been spending a lot of time on in the past year. Um, and then in addition to that, I have been uh, touring with spotlights around uh, the US and we might be doing some European stuff and we'll work on a new record. And then I just dropped... Uh, the first single under uh, my artist name, Light Tower, on Iodine Recordings. And it ruled, just for the record. Thanks. Thank you. I pay attention. And yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I have going on. The Light Tower EP is out on 4-22-22. And I'm also uh, going to pump John Lamacchia from Candiria, who I manage. He has a new record called uh, Thunderheads and his uh, solo uh, debut under the name Lamakia on Aqualam Records. He's got a new single called Bled Out. Uh, Kelly from Failure played drums on the whole thing and he's got, you know, Mike from Candiria playing bass and it couldn't be more different. It's more kind of alternative rock at times, even new wave. Uh, anyone who uh, is a fan of Candiria might be surprised, but it's really, really, really good stuff. And, and his record is coming out in May. So really excited about that. Yeah, it's definitely speaks to how talented he is as a creator. Totally, totally. You'll be seeing him at Chris Santos's wedding right on the week that it uh, comes out. So I'm sure he'll be talking to you about it. It'll be good. <laughs> Thank you for coming on and we'll have you back soon with Chris, I'm sure. I hope so, Matt. Thanks. I, I love our talks. I'm sure we'll have even more to talk about in person. Yes, sure. Thank you so much, man. Awesome. All right. So that was awesome. 
Thank you, everyone out there, for listening to Delirious Nomads, sponsored by Blacklight Media. We will be coming back at you next week with another awesome guest. Be sure to follow Blacklight Media on socials for new music and more. And above all, keep it heavy. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now in Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.